RadioInfluence.com. We are back for another edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Dale Galvan. I am Jason Foyt. It is a pay-per-view fight week for the UFC. We're going to get you ready for UFC 272. Goes down on Saturday night inside the T-Mobile Arena there in Las Vegas. Of course, headlined by the two men who, well, they were pretty close at one point, but they're no longer close. Kobe Covington and Jorge Masvidal also got two interviews for you. You're going to hear from Damon Jackson, who fights next week on that UFC fight night card inside the UFC Apex. Also, you're going to hear from one of the men that's in the main event of Friday's Unified MMA 43. Of course, that's a fight card that you can watch live on UFC Fight Pass. Kyle Prepolek, of course, the former UFC fighter, taking on Shane Campbell, former UFC fighter. And uh, I would be uh, I would be relatively surprise if the winner of this fight uh next fight's not in the ufc of course they are uh competing for the 165 pound title the super lightweight title there in unified mma plus we'll get some news and notes but uh Dale, let's start off talking about last week in mixed martial arts as uh you know friday last week on the show i said how i was going to give the pfl another shot i had every intentions of uh you know giving the pfl another shot but i'm on my couch on friday night I pop up the FUBU Sports Network on my, my Samsung TV, and the pre-show's going on. All right, cool. You know, they're talking about the fights. Da, da, da. The main card, the, the card starts, first fire walks out, and then boom. We got it. We're PFL vaulting it. It's some old school WSOF fight. I'm like, what is going on here? I have no idea what's going on here. You know, tweeting about it, seeing some other people tweet about it. Daniel, this is another lesson in the world of MMA reporting. Probably should read these press releases. And this was a press release. It said, the Professional Fighters League, the fastest growing and most innovative sports league in the world, keeps the momentum going tonight with week two of the 2022 PFL Challenger Series. Mixed martial artists from around the world will compete for a chance at a lifelong contract with the PFL. Da, 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 da. At the end, it says, beginning this week, Challenger Series will only be available to FUBU TV subscribers on the FUBU Sports Network. Watch live on FUBU TV starting at 9 p.m. Eastern time, which I was like, well, that kind of, as a consumer, I was like, well, that kind of sucks that I've been sitting here because week one was you, you didn't have to have a FUBU, FUBU TV uh, subscription. And uh, Daniel, I just tweeted, sorry, PFL, had all intentions of watching this, but uh, sorry, not switching to Fubo TV from YouTube TV. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it. But like, it's it's one of those things. Like, as a consumer, I feel like the PFL maybe should have been a little more vocal leading up to this card. That hey, FYI, it is behind a paywall this week. Yeah, I think the PFL actually hates you. I think they they are trying to annoy you and irritate you because not only were they behind a paywall, but they listened to your concerns. And the pacing was much better. I read that they had three fights in an hour to start off. So there you go. That's what I read. Uh, I didn't follow up on my reporting there on Twitter.com. But, yeah, they finally fixed our issue. And now, well, you're not going to watch it because you're not going to add another subscription to your a huge list of subscriptions. You know, I know you've got all the subscriptions that a man could ask for. Um, and it's just one of those things where, you know, that PFL Challenger Series isn't appetizing enough to add that to your monthly situation but at least they listen to your feedback the problem is when you are behind that paywall the eyeballs the amount of people watching that product it's going to be even smaller than it was before 
it, it's a good and bad situation for PFL because obviously they're getting some rights fee from FUBU TV to carry this event on their network. So that that's a plus for the PFL. And the negative side is is like you've I think you've really limbed down because I mean look it's you know FUBU TV. I think I looked at it. I want to say like the cheap package is like sixty eight dollars. I'm like man, people are not just going to change over from one streaming service to another one just because the PFL Challenger Series is on that. Um, it's unfortunate. And uh, all I did was Daniel. I said, well, I'll pop on UFC Fight Pass. I'll turn on that LFA show. I'll watch the LFA show. And uh, it, it was kind of, to me, very, uh, very noticing the fact of they're just there wasn't a lot of people uh, tweeting about the PFL. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see as this week go on, does the, the email come out of, Hey, you don't gotta be a FUBU TV subscriber to see this because I'm guessing, you know, there was probably a, 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 a steep decline in viewership in terms of that. But uh, you know, when you look at those Bellator and UFC results, uh, you know, the one thing about the Bellator car and uh, you know, I got home, got home in time to watch the co-main event and main event, went back and watched some other fights is the one thing that I got to give some kudos to, to Bellator, man, when they do these international events, it just feels like a big thing. And, and I do, I think their production staff just does an incredible job of just kind of telling the story of that crowd. But it's also another thing where you, when you watch these fighters walk out, Daniel, it makes you realize the difference between watching a Bellator broadcast and a UFC broadcast where that Bellator, they really, it is all about the fighter. It's not about the brand. Yeah, I think that's probably why from a pure broadcast standpoint, I appreciate the Bellator broadcast more. It's just a lot more entertaining. Like I, I, I hearken back to that Arizona show, a few, not the last one with one before, where it just really stuck out to me how they absolutely do a phenomenal job of making the location a part of the broadcast, of highlighting the fighters, and it allows you to create stars. Obviously, on a card like this, there weren't too many stars to be created on that main card on Showtime, but from a pure broadcast standpoint, I personally love the way Bellator does things, you know, with the UFC, obviously the UFC's broadcast, if I was going to come up with one word to describe it, it would be professional. I mean, these are probably some of the best guys in the business. I would imagine they do it all the time and they've been doing it in years. I, I guarantee you it's just an amazing crew, but my one criticism of them is that it's very similar, and I think that's a strategy that the UFC has employed from the very top. And, and it's not just about the broadcast. It's about the fighters, et cetera. It's, it's about making the UFC the draw and prioritizing that. Like, I'm going to turn on UFC on Saturday because it's the UFC. Not I'm going to turn on UFC on Saturday because it's Edson Barboza fighting, right? So that's probably a UFC top-down thing. I think back to that Madison Square Garden card uh, that the UFC ran, and I really wanted more msg content on that pay-per-view and i didn't really get it with bellator uh, on a lackluster main card with the you know a, a great fighter fighting the main event that's definitely one of the things that stuck out is how well they cover uh the location yeah no i mean it's just unbelievable uh the brian moore walk walk out was just awesome to see there uh, i did agree with the decision there with jorno lugo uh getting the victory there uh shanae kavanoff goes out there and gets a decision win against liam mccord uh i agree with a 29 28 scorecard i did not see this one 30 27 very odd the fact of she's literally being carried out of the cage to the back like she cannot walk because that knee is we, as we do this show, we haven't heard the exact extent of the injury. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Let me just get that out there. 
that ha- that looked like a torn ACL. The way she was just unable to walk around. Hopefully it's not her case, but very odd the fact of as she's being carried out by her SBG teammates, including Conor McGregor, is the fact of Scott Coker apparently rushes over to the broadcast booth to let them know she's next for Chris Cyborg, which I'm like, hold on. First off, she's being carried out. Second off, we just saw that fight like three months ago, and Chris Cyborg destroyed her in 90 seconds. I think it's also I think it also tells you about kind of what the women's 145 pound division is. And speaking of that division, Katzingano Pam Sorensen was supposed to be next week. It's reported that fight is off due to a Katzingano injury, which I saw this tweet after uh, Bellator PR hit me up about, you know, get line up some interviews uh, for next week's card. And, and I was like, well, now I know why Katzingano and Pam Sorensen were on the list of fighters that are available for interviews this week. I know that's one way you can start breaking news is if you notice some interesting people absent on that interview list, you probably go out on a limb and assume that fight isn't happening. And yeah, that woman's featherweight division is just a, a tough spot to be in. Man, Kavanaugh is tough because I feel like she suffered that injury in round one. And she was able to win that second round to secure the decision. And to be honest with you, man, that 30-27 scorecard was stupid. Like, I don't know how you scored round three for Kavanaugh. That was a clear uh, McCourt round. Here's my thing. Here's What surprises me more about that fight is the fact of the doctor didn't come in after the second round to check on her. That, to me, was the the most surprising thing because, I mean, look, you could tell she couldn't put put weight on it. And, I mean, look, just horrible, horrible fight IQ by Leah McCord in that third round. I mean, the mentality should have been, I mean, like, you got a wounded animal out there, man. I mean, you should have just been throwing leg kick after leg kick after leg kick at that knee. I mean, it wasn't until the final minute uh, after she'd been on the ground for, what, three-plus minutes that she finally went for a leg lock, and, and she ultimately, she in a day, she ran outside. But, look, you got to give credit to Sinead Kavanaugh for, for being able to weather that storm. I mean, she is not, you know, Sinead Kavanaugh is not someone that we just expect to go out there and look for a takedown, but she had to do what she had to do. Gagum Mersasi, I mean, what can you say? I mean, the guy looks like he's bored when he's walking to the cage, looks like he doesn't want to be there, and then he's just a straight stone kill killer in there goes in there uh i had a uh someone asked me on twitter saying uh, uh brandon asked me who do i think is next up for the bellator middleweight title you know and and i think the fight that makes the most sense is the fight next week of john salter and johnny eblin you know obviously salter's already lost to gagor musasi but i think that salter's just kind of at this point where He's gonna he's just gonna take everyone out, and I think there's you know because of his jujitsu so good. Edwin, undefeated guy, trains out ATT, makes a lot of sense if he gets that win there. But I'll throw another oddball name out there, and, and I, I have no idea what's going on with him. The last I heard, his plan was to return back to 170. But if Gagar wants some name value, how about Lorenz Larkin? Yeah, I think when you look at the middleweight rankings and you get past those two and three guys. Lorenz Larkin makes a lot of sense because after Lorenz Larkin, what you've got is you've got names like Romero Cotton and Dalton Rasta who just aren't, they aren't ready yet. They're still, they're still a work in progress, but in all likelihood if Gegard continues to hold on to this middleweight championship. And it seems like the biggest threat to his championship is just maybe him deciding to take his ball and retire. Those would be the guys, but Lorenz Larkin is just a much more developed product and, the stand-up affair between Larkin and Musasi is probably more interesting than any other possible striking matchup. I mean, Musasi's stand-up against Vanderfort, it was next level. It was the, These guys were at a different ballgame, and that led into 
the dominance on the ground and the eventual finish in the first round. I mean, it's crazy that Austin Vanderfort was the top-ranked middleweight contender and Gegar Mousasi treated him like such. I mean, the gap between these two is probably bigger than the gap between Austin Vanderfort and whoever's ranked number 10 or number 30. That's how big the gap was. It was And Vanderfort's a hell of a talent. It's just that Gegard Mousasi has really validated what you said last week in that he is the best pound-for-pound fighter in Bellator. And I'm very impartial towards saying it's A.J. McKee, but it's hard for me to argue with you when Mousasi puts on a performance like that. When you... When you look at the Bellator rankings, and, and I did my rankings on, on Saturday, there are certain divisions that you look at and you just say, these are just not the deepest of divisions in Bellator. Uh, I mean, look, women's featherweight's one of them because well, there's only 10 fighters you can vote on. <laughs> you, know, there, there, you know, there's not. But you look at middleweight, and, you know, of course, you know, one of the things I always like to do is be transparent about my ranking system. And uh, I have John Salter as the number one guy in this division. I had him even before. Uh, this past weekend. So, you know, then it's Vanford, then Fabian Edwards, Johnny Evelyn, uh, Anatoly Tokov, Dalton Rasta, uh, Bestiev, Larkin, Adams, and Johnson. I mean, look, there, there is a big drop-off now. After Lorenz Larkin's last fight where he beat Rafael Carvalho, the former Bellator middleweight champion last year, my understanding was that he does play, he was planning to go to 170, but uh, Lorenz Larkin is just, he's not a guy that's active on social media, so it's kind of one of those things that you really never go, know what's going on with him, but it, it's one of those things where I, I look at him and I just say, like, if... If Gegard's looking for someone with name value, Lorenz Larkin would be the perfect uh, challenger for me. Yeah, and I think that's a fight that makes a lot of sense in terms of a headliner, Musasi versus Larkin. And and in terms of name value, it's also just in terms of a test inside the cage. I think the skill sets are, are there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a division that realistically needs a good free agent signing to to, spring, to spice things up. And I don't know who's out there or who could potentially be out there. But... This is a division that I think needs someone to, to, to come aboard Bellator that is already an established product to provide an interesting challenge for Musasi. Because right now, Bellator's got one of the best fighters in the world. What do you do with one of the best fighters in the world? Well, in order to promote them properly, you've got to give them someone that makes them feel like there's some adversity, a chance they might lose that strap. And I, I, I just, you know, Larkin is, is a great option, but I also do think if those two do eventually get matched up, the odds will still be heavily in Musasi's favor. If you're Scott Coker, your job has got to be to go and find someone that makes those odds closer and they step in the cage against Musasi. And now I got, I just, I looked at welterweight, maybe thinking some welterweight would come up and, uh, Someone's now ineligible from the rankings because he's not in my rankings anymore. I got I to go look back and see who was in my welterweight rankings yeah. a week ago because, uh, yeah, they ain't there anymore. Let me see. It's just, let's see. I, I don't know. In the welterweight rankings? God, I need to pull up the ones you sent me yesterday because we had the top 10 here. Oh, that's a good uh, question. Yeah, I can go back in our text messages and, and I'll yeah. see exactly who is uh, – who, who is missing there? Yeah, that's one of those things. Uh, that's that's my only negative thing about the Bellator rankings is, is they don't tell you when someone has been uh, removed from the rankings. That's to me, is, is the one downside of these rankings. Yeah, that is something. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, I think it's, it's the Bahamas. City. Is he on no, there? No, it's, uh, it's Nikaev. Shamil Nikaev is not in there. Oh, damn, that's random. Yeah. That's... 
Uh, but, and by the way, speaking of those welterweight rankings, uh, you know, I mentioned on the show uh, either last week or week before about Gochi Yamauchi taking on Derek Anderson. Uh, I reached out to some people. I asked, I said, hey, is this like a one-fight deal, like where he's just going to 170 for one fight, or is he going up? And it sounds like Gochi Yamauchi is uh, he's going to 170, which is crazy. Not that long ago, this guy was a 145-er. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it, it's crazy, but damn, this guy probably holds the record for most times missing weight in Bellator history. I mean, I don't know if anyone comes close. So it makes sense, but it's going to be very interesting to see him stepping on the scale and what he actually looks like inside the cage. Because I never looked at him inside the cage and thought, damn, this is a welterweight. I always kind of thought this is a featherweight. But, yeah, it, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, the weight cuts for Yamauchi is literally the first thing I think of when I think of Goichi Yamauchi. And he's one of the best fighters on their roster. Yeah, I remember, I want to say it was sometime last year, basically, he had to, like, he was having to do weight checks, like, 30 days out, 7 days out, to basically approve to get a license or something to think about there. Uh, you know, when you look over to UFC, what happened there, I mean, obviously, Islam Mahachev doing what he did there, getting the first-round win against Bobby Green. Uh, you know, also, I think, as you kind of look at some other, to me, notables, I, I got Terrence McKinney. I mean, he looked absolutely phenomenal uh, against Saeem, what he was able to do, take that fight to the ground, remember? Uh, I thought he looked very good with his submission win there. Uh, also, uh, Armin Sarukian. I think he's got to be a guy you, you talk about. And, and Wellington Thurman going out there and getting the submission win. But, I mean, look, it's, you know, Osley Islam Machev. And I know we're going to talk probably more about Islam Machev later on the show, talk about UFC 272, because as we record this here on Monday night, it sounds like RDA is on board for this 170-pound fight because uh, the fact of uh, Rafael Fazeev is out of Saturday's card, so we'll see what happens there. But, I mean, like, if you're Machev, I mean, you know, guys just aren't signing up to fight him. Like Bobby Green said last week, he's like, if they're calling me, that tells me there's a lot of dudes who've turned down this fight. Yeah, because Islam Mahachev is probably the best lightweight in the world. He just might be. And he doesn't have a championship around his waist. Right. You're not going to sign up to fight the best fighter in the world to main event ESPN plus card. Okay, if you're going to fight the best lightweight in the world, you want it to get some cheddar on pay-per-view. So until Islam Mahachev gets a championship, people are not going to sign up to fight this guy. And for RDA, he's in the position where he's kind of got no choice. He's left without a dance partner. He's invested all this time into a training camp. And I really do hope this fight happens. And I think for Mahachev, you know, one of the talking points you brought up to me is why would he take this fight? And that's a very valid question. He is in a position to get a championship opportunity. But I think there's two reasons. I know you are going to get into the second one, so I'll give you the first reason. The first reason why he should take this fight, in my opinion, is because Islam Mahachev is still not necessarily a star. He still is not someone that the casual fans know. A lot of people will be watching UFC 272, right? A lot of people will be watching this uh, fight between Masvidal and Covington. And if Islam Mahachev can step up after fighting a week ago and take out RDA in dominant fashion, I believe the name value and the brand of Islam Mahachev will be elevated to a high, high level. And he will be an undeniable title challenger that might even make it a way in which the other reason why he might be taking this fight invalid. He might jump. You know, the mysterious unicorn that, that it just gets title opportunity whenever he wants. 
Look, I think there's two reasons you take the fight. What you just mentioned there is, you know, the fact of the audience that'll be there on Saturday night. I mean, the other side, look, it is a payday. And I think also it is to show that you can do this uh, against a, you know, an all-time great UFC fighter. Like, it, like I'll say this, like, you know, I know some people may crap me on what, what my thoughts are on, on Jim Miller and the Hall of Fame is. But, like, if you think Jim Miller's a Hall of Famer, RDA's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think you win a championship, you got to go in. You really do. Like, you know. look at the names that RDA has competed against. Just go back since 2014. Habib Nurmagomedov, Jason Hyde, Benson Henderson, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pez, Donald Stroney, Eddie Alvarez, Tony Ferguson, Tariq Safadine, Neil Magny, Robbie Lawler, Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman, Kevin Lee, Leon Edwards, Michael Chiesa, Paul Felder. That yeah. is just a murderer's row after, I mean, it, it, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the fights that Jim Miller's had recently. Like, but this, like, you, you can't even compare these two lists. Uh, I mean, like, look, you think Jim Miller's a Hall of Famer? RDA's a Hall of Famer. No, I won't disagree with you at all. He is. He absolutely is. He's been a part of some big pay-per-views, and but most importantly, it's inside the cage. He, he's beaten some of the best, and he's been around a very long time, too. So I agree with you. I, I do think he's a Hall of Famer. And, uh, you know, for him, I don't know if I would want to take this fight because Islam Mahachev against Bobby Green was just – very similar to Musasi in the way where it was just like these two guys are at completely different levels. And to take on a guy like Bobby Green and just put him down and, and beat him and do it easily is astonishingly impressive. And if Mahachev picks his fight with RDA, I think the exact same thing will happen. I don't know if RDA will get finished. I actually think he survives all three rounds. But I think we're talking about a 30-26 scorecard for Islam Mahachev if he steps up at UFC 272. That's how dominant he looked against Bobby Green. By the way, there was betting odds put out on a potential Islam Mahachev and Charles Oliveira fight. It has Islam Mahachev as a 4-1 to one betting favorite. That's, that's impressive. I was thinking two, like minus 200. But that, again, speaks to the fact this guy is kind of like the uncrowned lightweight champion. Like, it's just when you watch him fight and you put him in a hypothetical fight with Oliveira, with Gaethje, with Poirier, it's hard not to think about what that would look like and not see Mahachev bringing those guys down and beating them. Like here, here becomes a weird situation potentially for Islam Mahachev because I'm watching this interview Dana White's giving with John Morgan who now works for the UG and he, uh, he asked him about Conor McGregor because obviously Conor was in, in Dublin. He did some interviews, uh, most notably with Sean Sheehan of Severe MMA. And uh, there's all, there has been this discussion about, hey, when Conor comes back, he's targeting July, he's going to get the title. Conor, Conor alluding to that maybe Charles Oliveira should wait two months and fight him as opposed to fighting Justin Gaethje there um, at UFC 274, I want to say, in, in May. That's when that fight's targeted to take place. And uh, where it could be really odd for Mahachev is what happens if Justin Gaethje does get the title shot, beats Charles Oliveira. Justin Gaethje then tells his manager, Ali Abdelaziz, he wants Conor McGregor. You know who represents Islam Mahachev? I'm assuming Ali Abdelaziz. <laughs> yes, like that could be a really, like from a sporting aspect, Conor McGregor should not be fighting for the title in July from a sporting aspect. However, and Dana alluded to this where he said like, hey, he he, he definitely did not answer the question. 
definitely did not answer the question. But he basically says, hey, the champion's got some say in this, which if I'm Charles Oliver or Justin Gaethje, I'm going, I'm going for the payday. I ain't going for the guy that's clearly the next best lightweight in the world. Yeah, there's zero incentive for Gaethje, Oliveira, not to give Connor the fight. One, life-changing payday. The difference in money in your bank account the night after a Connor fight versus the night after a Mahachev fight is massive. Secondly, it's a much easier fight. You are much more likely to beat Conor McGregor than to beat Islam Mahachev. Like, like that might even be bigger than the gap in paydays you're getting in those fights. It would suck if Conor got that fight because at the end of the day, since 2016, he's only beaten Donald Cerrone. I mean, that's five years. It's crazy. Five years of mixed martial arts action. The only time we've seen Conor McGregor get his hand raised is when he fought Donald Cerrone. He shouldn't get a championship opportunity. The The ball is not in the court of Gaethje or Oliveira. It's got to be in the court of Dana White, the UFC, to take a stand. Oh, wait, that, but, was, that was January 2020, right? Yeah. Yep. And before that, he lost to Khabib. And then his last win was Eddie Alvarez uh, because – I'm pretty sure the Floyd fight happened in between Eddie and Habib, right? Or no? When the hell did the Floyd fight happen? Did that happen before Nate Diaz? Uh, well, it been Habib would have been his first fight after the Floyd fight. Okay, so that would have been in between Eddie and, and Habib. Okay, yeah. So that's and that explains that gap. Look, Connor is great, but he looked like crap against Dustin before he really looked like crap uh, with his leg kind of being in a, in a bad way. Um, I I just feel like. If you're the lightweight champion of the world, you can't turn down the Conor fight, but the UFC has got to be the middleman and, and, and get in the way. But I, I, I don't see the UFC doing that. Um, I mean, the, the way Dan answered that question is very similar to the way I, I heard Deion Sanders on a podcast today, and they asked him, like, uh, so, like, you plan on being a, being a coach at Jackson State for a long time? And he's like, you know, I'm here to do things well right now. I'm here to make an impact right now. Like, okay, yeah, you're trying to go to Florida State. Hey, hey, hot, hot take. Deion Sanders will be a head coach at a D1 football program next year. Yeah, I mean, look, he's probably going to be a head coach at Florida State next year. I mean, uh, I mean seriously, like. I, so I, the one FSU podcast I listen to, they're pretty convinced that Norvell's getting two more years. Yeah, just wait till the football gets played, buddy. Look, look, look. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you what, I think that Dion will be a head coach at a major Division One program within 12 months. I would yeah. be, that's one of those things in sports, I'd be relatively surprised. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. I mean, it's like it's like he got he got he's playing the game, and he's like 15 levels above where he should be right now at at, at Jackson State. Like what he's doing for Jackson State is like it reminds me of what that dude Lance Leopold did for his school, whatever school that was. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like, look, if you told me I got to play a prop bet that Deion Sanders is a D1 coach next season, or we'll have a Major League Baseball game by May 1st, I'm taking the Deion prop. <laughs> yeah, that's frustrating, isn't it? The, the baseball just every day, they're just the, that. I, yeah. I, I was reading the Jeff Passion's article on ESPN today, and man, because I, I really haven't paid much attention to it, and like I didn't really, like the thing that just shocked me. I felt like we were. I was watching. I was reading a UFC fighter pay uh, discussion. The fact that uh, player uh, compensation has gone down for four straight years. I was like, whoa. Are we talking about MLB? Or are we talking about the UFC? 
I know that sounds a lot like the UFC. That sounds a lot. I, I think I saw you tweet that out. That's uh, it's astonishing. It's it really yeah, is. It, it was crazy. Uh, I mentioned about that Dana White interview with John Morgan. The uh, two big notes I took away from that is he did confirm that uh, Gilbert Burns versus Hamzat Chemaev is going to take place next month. UFC 273. Of course, that'll be the pay per view. Uh, that'll be in Jacksonville, Florida. Also, he did confirm UFC 274. That is going to be in Phoenix, Arizona. So we're we're kind of, we're we're seeing the uh, the location uh, uh, well, the location branch of UFC pay per views: Jacksonville, Houston, Phoenix, Las Vegas, and we're going to sprinkle in California every once in a while. Yeah, I like it. I like it. We're slowly but surely dipping our toes in different markets, and I'm excited as we get back to normal. It's uh, it's very very exciting. I mean, obviously the news is really bad right now, but one of the positives is it seems like everyone is alleviating the uh, you know the numbers are getting better so it's going to be exciting to get back to a point in time where the UFC is running uh, a fight night at various venues although I guess maybe we won't ever get there because I feel like financially it's just really good for them to run it out of the apex oh uh, yeah I know uh, I mean uh, other things from that interview he talked about how he's open to going right back to Figueredo Bram Moreno that would be the fourth straight time these two guys have fought each other uh, you know and basically I, I think Dana the way he answered a question to me, he just came off as a way of saying, I'm hearing the fans. They want it. Figueredo wants it. Moreno wants it. By the way, speaking of Bram Moreno, doing some training with James Krause and the Glory MMA team there in Lee Summers, Missouri. Something kind of interesting. It sounds like he's going to make some changes in his coaching staff leading up to his next fight and very well could be James Krause as his new head coach. Also, uh, Ray Longo revealed on the Anakin Florian podcast that Adrian Yanez has been uh, came up to work with the team there. Of course, uh, Adrian Yanez uh, has been training there uh, in Houston at, at the Metro uh, Fight Club team. Of course, that was a team run by Saul Solis, his longtime head coach, who passed away last year. So we'll see what happens with Adrian Yanez. Is he is he going? You know, is he ultimately going to change up gyms? Um, you know, I, I there was some speculation potentially he was going to go Glory. So we'll see what happens there uh some other uh things on the dana white aspect one other thing to note um john did bring up what's going on in ukraine with russia and i'll be the first one to say i'm i i know what's going on but i really haven't taken a deep i've like i asked our people what's going on there but there is a mma aspect to all this the fact of uh there was a report that came out on monday the fact of the ufc has asked alexander volkov and his team to go to England now for the proposed fight against Tom Aspinall on March 19th. There's some concern that potentially maybe Alexander Volkov will not be able to get into England because of living in Russia there. Uh, Yaroslav Amosov put a thing out on his Instagram that he is staying in the Ukraine to defend for from his home country. And this was, he released a video that was translated by Ringside24 where he said, quote, Greetings. Probably many will think that I ran away. I'm in hiding or something like that, but this is not so. I took my family to the safe zone. Now I have returned and will defend the country as best as I can and with what I can. I love this country, our own 
Russia came to our house and started a war here. Many people are dying, innocents, women, and children. We have to defend this country, and we succeed, friends, and we will succeed because the truth is behind us. I would like to address those who subscribe to me from Russia, which is shown to you on TV. You may not watch. This is not true. If I were you, I wouldn't even watch your news. We're in a real war. I cannot understand these people who do not believe that Russian troops enter Ukraine. I see it with my own eyes. I hear it. Terrible things are happening here. We can do this. Also, uh, the Klitschko brothers are, are getting involved in this war as well. So uh, there is a MMA aspect to what is going on in the Ukraine. And uh, you listen to Dana White. Obviously, it's something that uh, he understands that, you know, they're, they're you know, they're, uh, clearly they're not going to Russia anytime soon. No, 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 no. I mean, even uh, Lomachenko, I, I saw him suited up and it's crazy uh it's, it's it's an insane situation and you can only hope for like a ceasefire and peace and whatnot because think about it like this amosov for example he's just living his daily life he's one of the best fighters in the world training every single day and in an instant he has to drop everything why to defend his country's independence he has to. That's insane. I mean, can you imagine me or you being put in that situation? We're so lucky to be where we are today, compared to all these people who are are just ran or found themselves in the situation. And man, it's it's so sad. But when you watch, you know, the Klitschkos and Amasov and Lomachenko, man. I, and everyone like that's very heroic and very like sacrificing yourself to, you know, keep your country free. So, you know, all I can say is I hope for the best. And uh, for Amosov, I hope every, he's safe, man, because, you know, he's uh, a very key, important part of our community. And uh, I just hope everyone is safe. But I mean, man, it's it's an awful situation. And when it translates to what it means for Russian fighters and whatnot, yeah, I mean, there's going to be there's already an incredible amount of sanctions. And I think this is a country in Russia where as every day goes by, it's getting more and more closed off with the rest of the world. So that's going to absolutely impact Russian athletes. But that is a, a, a minimal thing when you take like when you take into account what's actually happening. Right. Like you're like last week, we lived in a completely different world than we did this week, Jason. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, another news item to mention, Eduardo Dantas did an interview with uh, Combate, Brazilian outlet, where he says he is in contract talks with the UFC. Of course, he got a win on the uh, Dana White looking for a fight, which was at FAC 12 earlier on uh, in the beginning of February. So uh, it looks like the former Bellator champion will ultimately be a UFC fighter. Of course, uh, that card uh, did see two fighters get a contract. Josh Trim, who we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Also, Isaac Delgarian was on that one which has been a kind of a, an interesting because apparently he's the fighter that uh, was getting the uh, what was labeled as a sponsorship deal uh, but his manager Jason House uh, said that uh, back when he tweeted about it basically saying yeah uh, the agreement they sent it over was for a management contract which I'd really question why a fighter would want a management deal with the Nelk boys but I'm not familiar with the Nelk boys so I'm not I'm not uh, really great to uh, to discuss that one now before we get into uh, previewing UFC 272 do want to talk about an interview that I did have you're gonna hear right now with Damon Jackson who fights next week at UFC Vegas number 50. 
Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man we're going to see back in the octagon here in the month of March at UFC Vegas number 50, Damon Jackson. Damon, appreciate the time. I think the last time uh, we had a chance to uh, talk, you were uh, you were in Mexico enjoying some uh, nice uh, adult beverages. But uh, obviously- <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going back there as soon as this fight's over. I'm going straight to Cabo. I'll be there for a few days and just chilling, so I can't wait. <laughs> Is that like your go-to uh, chill spot after a fight? After a fight oh, cam's over? Man. Yeah, dude, Cozumel is so beautiful, and then Cabo, and I, and I have a friend that um, has a place there. I got another friend that's building a place there, so uh, it's kind of like you know, every time I get a chance to vacation, I like to go where it's hot. So anytime if it's not hot in Texas, I'm going to be going um, to Mexico. Is it just one of those things like you just need like a week weekend just to decompress from the previous you know six to eight weeks? Yeah, I mean, you're talking like diet's got to be on point, your training's on point, your sleep schedule changes, your work schedule changes. So it's like, um, it's just, a, it's a lot for sure. And it's definitely, I think it's a very much a necessity to like kind of take some time out of the gym. And um, if I'm going to be out of the gym, I'd like to be like, you know, chilling on a beach or like somewhere just hot. I, I like hot. So um, definitely Mexico is my go-to. Dude, you don't got to tell me. I live in Florida, and, like, when it was cold here for, like, a week, I'm just like, I'm not built for this. No, I mean, it's, yeah, there's people. There's two different types of people. That's it. And I'm definitely not the cold weather guy. Like, I can't. I mean, I, like, the only reason I like cold weather is means that it's hunting season because I, I enjoy hunting. But uh, besides that, if, it, if the deer would come out when it's hot, I would rather just sit up there in some shorts and stuff. And uh, there's been multiple times where I've got to hunt in shorts and a short, uh, short sleeve shirt. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm game for that for sure. Look, I don't mind getting cold every once in a while, but after like two or three days, I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm, I get, bring, bring back my 80 degree weather and uh, the way it is. Yeah, it's 82 degrees right now as we as we uh, talk here. But uh, you know, I was listening to another and you were talking about uh, you know your family, and it kind of made me think about like for you, how do you balance that, that work life, family life, training life? It, it, I mean, a lot of like I, I just try to to not get in the way of all my kids schedule is really hard because they all do have their own schedules. And, uh, my wife's really in charge of that. So it's kind of, it's super, super helpful. Like, you know, there's no way they, there's no way they could do everything they do. And then I still get to do what I do. Um, if, it, you know, if she wasn't the one taking on the places and we have a few friends that kind of help out every once in a while, but for the most part, we've kind of built up a, you know, a community around us as far as like, you know, we have the, we have the certain practice days. I know those are the days that I'm like, I can't train or like if, the, if it's a day that um, like on the weekends when my kids compete, like after 11 o'clock, I'm not going to be anywhere, but the, you know, wherever they're competing. So, um, you know, I've kind of built my training around them and their schedule. And then my wife's helped out so much. And that's kind of, that's the reason why they get to do what they do. And I get to do, still do what I do, but I, I, I train in the morning. I have a handful of clients that I get to grapple with or um, spar with or whatever. And then, so that's cool. And then I have a lot of people that, uh, on the team that are real open schedules. So I can, I can tell them like, Hey, tomorrow I'll have a gap at uh, 11 to 12. You guys want to go up there and, you know, wrestle or you want to go hit pads or whatever. So it's, it, it works out good. You know, you know, speaking about your kids being involved in sports just kind of made me think about, I mean, you know, they always talk about there's those healthy nerves that you're going to have on fight night. How, how different are those nerves for you when you're watching your kids compete in, in various sports? So, uh, like, you know, the, the craziest thing happened this year because uh, 
like my my ten year old, she plays like slick soccer, and she travels all across Texas, and they they travel like you know all the time, and it's it's great, it's amazing. Like their skill level gets better all the time, and uh, my other two are a little bit too young, but my oldest is twelve this year, and she just started uh, seventh grade, and so they have an all girls wrestling team, and um, this year my daughter's like, hey, you know, I want to try wrestling, and I'm like, I was like, because I told her, her her entire childhood, I was like you're not wrestling. Like it's not going to happen. Cause I used to wrestle girls and I would smash them. I would just like uh-huh. push their face in the mat. Cause I was like, I'm not losing to a girl. So I went way harder on girls. And so, um, but it's changed. The, the sports changed so much since then. And, you know, and it's like, so now it's all girl, all girl practice, all girls, you know, wrestle each other. They don't wrestle boys unless they want to. And so like, I was like, you know what, you want to try it out go for it. And this kid, she went 16 and one. Oh, wow. She got seven place in state in her first year and it was like and i took over the youth the middle school program for her school and in another school in rockwell and um you know it was just so cool watching her go through all the same experiences that i did with wrestling but she was she's 10 times better than me whenever i was her age in wrestling like it's it's mind-blowing and um you know besides this year i've never tried to you know i've never wrestled with her like that you know i've, I've showed her a little bit jujitsu we, we've hit some pads and stuff before but i've never had her wrestle and she just came out of nowhere this year and just like smashed so it was a it was a you know every time that i see them like my, my 10 year old she just won a huge tournament down in san antonio so it's like it's cool to see them like um, going through those ups and downs of like the sports bring you like where you train so hard and then you lose and then you train so hard again and you win so it's it's pretty cool Prior to getting involved with the, the middle school program there, what did you think coaching was in your future at all? Yeah, you know, I always kind of did. But, like, you know, I think that, um, you know, as you get older and you see that the, the, the payout's not the best and the way that they, the um, schools, the way they do things with the coaches is not the best. So, like, and, you know, honestly, I couldn't commit that much time to it besides, like, just after school for that handful, like, two hours after school, I could do that every day. And but I could, there's no way I could be a teacher. I couldn't be a full time coach. There's no way because it's just too much, uh, too much time at the school, and you know too much responsibilities and stuff for me to fight and to do that. It would, it would be impossible. So, um, and I respect them every bit for that because it's like these kids they really need they need good people in their life like that. So it, you know I feel like I made a big impact on all these kids with the wrestling and they, like they're super amped up with you know watching wrestling and now watching fights and like watching things on YouTube like that. So it's cool to be a part of it but uh, I couldn't have um, I couldn't have been a full-time teacher but I you know I've always wanted to be a coach. I love coaching. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's because uh, I do know some high school coaches and in uh, in football, and yeah. I think people would be surprised about what uh, little money there is. I mean, you're 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 doing it for the love well, of the sport. No, you that and like you know your commitment, your time commitment to it is just insane. Like not even the money. The money's whatever. Like you could if you're so busy doing all the stuff you do at the school, you kind of really don't have time to go spend your money. So you can <laughs> you could probably make it work, but. Uh, the, the time commitment for, um, and then the responsibility, the, the fact that you're, you know, you're around these kids that no matter what, for the rest of their life, you're going to have some kind of impact on who they are. And so you got to make sure you're always on point and, uh, make sure that, uh, when they're, when they're there, they're, you know, that they're being respectful and it's just like, it's just so much. There's a lot of pressure for sure. Yeah. I think we could all kind of relate of there was some coach growing up that kind of, you know, helped guide us, yeah. uh, you know, whether it was in athletics or, or something else. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, but you got this fight here, um, getting into March here. So it's been it's been a decent amount of time since we saw you back in October. Yeah. You, you, I am so tired of this crap, man. It's like the, the layoffs are just like they're not for me because I, I, I train every day. I'm you know working out. I eat clean year round, twenty four seven. I never screw up. You know I might have a margarita every once in a while, but like I'm not out here you know gaining a bunch of weight like the most i ever weigh is like 172 and like i can always cut to 45 you know weighing that much i could always get down to 45 so it's like for me i would like to have like two or three week notice fights and i would like to fight every you know three months or two months you know i'd like to stay busy but it's just like you know there's a process to all of it and um i had a fight and then it got it got dropped and then um i got that joshua kulabaw fight and then he pulled out you know, a few weeks ago, but it wasn't a big deal. And then they got Kirk to step in. So, um, you know, that's not me. I'm trying to stay busy. I'm not trying to have these long breaks, but um, sometimes, sometimes it happens like that because they have it scheduled out to where, like, you know, once you have a fight, you have to wait a certain amount of time before they even start looking at your name unless you go out there and, and you know, finish. And so I think if I would have finished uh, Charles, I could have had a little bit more bargaining room to, you know, beg for another fight as, as soon as I could. So, I, I know you mentioned in an interview about, you know, where, where the status of, of your contract. I mean, and just hearing you talk there makes me kind of think of like, it, it's just a simple mentality. Of this fight is I just got to finish him. I hell yeah, like I'm going out there. I'm I'm in great shape. You know, I am. Um, I in practice, I'm kind of being an asshole. Like I'm not. I'm hitting people hard um, when we're grappling, and I'm making sure that I'm getting those subs that I always get in my all my other fights. And um, I'm making sure that when I'm on the feet, that I'm I'm doing the right game plan to put the uh, put them where I want and to keep control of the the pace the whole time. Do you feel like you have to do that in, in training to kind of get? You- to put yourself yeah, in, yeah, in a in yeah. a mental place yeah. for fight night, yeah. Well, I'm like you, go, you go through that rhythm of like you know, like if you go to a certain level and then you stop every single time, you, you that just becomes who you are. So like if you go to if you go to shoot it on a double leg and you run the double and then you just stop over and over and over, then when you get into a wrestling match, if you go out there and you hit a double and you have been drilling yourself to stop and not finish the shot all the way through. Um, that definitely changes your style and, and it'll make you, it'll make you really disappointed whenever you start doing that because you'll get there and you'll think that you're in so deep and then they hit, you know, they hit like a little tweak on your, on their defense. And then, you know, you're not finishing your shot. You're not finishing your sub. So what I've been doing a lot of is uh, small out, small, like seven ounce gloves sparring mm-hmm. and going from boxing to kicks to takedowns to finishes, like going into live grappling as soon as we hit the ground. So, um, I think that uh, getting back in that routine, because I used to do that uh, quite a bit with as far as like sparring with small gloves and uh, grappling with them all the time. So I'm kind of um, back in that full um, full go as far as like punching all the way in, taking them down and trying to go for a sub the whole time. So do you prefer fighting in the smaller cage as opposed to the bigger cage? I, don't care. I mean, there's there's a pros and cons to both for sure. But like if. If I'm going to go forward on someone, they're eventually going to have to, like, plant their feet and throw back. And once they throw back, I feel pretty confident in taking anyone down. And, um, you know, like, that's kind of like, you know, I don't I don't want, want to always use the cage. Like, I don't want to always pin someone on there because it's kind of – it's as a fan, it's really boring to watch unless you um, have good transitions and make it quick. And, um, you know, I don't want to be driving someone in on the cage the whole time. So, um, you know, I don't mind either way. 
Do you think about that a lot about the inter- I mean, obviously this is a sport and the goal is to go out there and win, but do you think a lot about of like, uh, this is a sport, but this is also the entertainment business. Uh, I I've gotten in trouble for that in the past with like, um, you know, I'm not there to, to win and, uh, Winning can be wrestling someone down and, and then getting a sub, you know, slowly or whatever. But, like, if you look at, like, so I don't really go around and run in my mouth and, like, telling everybody, look at me, look at my record, look yeah. at all this stuff. Like, so, like, if you look at my record, I'm I'm 19 and 4, and I have I have eight first-round finishes. I have eight second-round finishes, and I have one third-round finish. So I have two fights that went to decision and that I won, and – um two fights that went to decision and it's, you know, it's just like, that's in my blood for sure. It's like wrestling. It's a, you go out there, you want to put someone on their back. And as soon as, as soon as you put them on their back, it's over and it's great. And it's like, you know, you don't have to, you know, put in the same effort. It's just like, once you get that tap, it's the best feeling in the world for me. And so like for me to go out there and think about the fans, is isn't going to happen most of the time. I'm gonna, I, like, I hope that I go out there and I wrestle good and I hope that I get out there and pass their guard and I hope I take their back. And then I hope I get a rear naked choke. Cause I know that if I get that on anyone, I'm going to, I'm going to finish it. So, I mean, yes and no, like maybe after the fight's over, I kind of think about the fans and like what they would think of it. But like, going into a fight i'm thinking finish and that's all i think about yeah because I, I noticed on your uh, twitter timeline you had retweeted uh about your finishing rate and also the finishing rate of your opponent um you yeah. know is, is that kind of the thing that gets you maybe a, a general excitement level of this five like i'm going up against a guy that i know is going to bring it and he's looking for a finish as well as mm-hmm. he's not just going to sit there and, and try to outpoint me for a 15 minute decision yeah yeah, I think that he's definitely going to be game. And, you know, him being in jiu-jitsu as long as he has been, um, it's definitely something that I've uh, I've had to, like, kind of adjust my partners uh, with, the, you know, with going with full jits guys and guys that aren't – they don't mind working off their back because he's got really good stuff off his back. And I think that he's definitely going to be prepared to be taken down. And he's going to be prepared to – um, work back up to his feet, and so like um, if the fight, if I if the fight, if I do take it down, um, you know it's going to be one of those things where he's going to be ready to go for sure. And I've definitely um, thought of that this whole time and kept that in the back of my head. And I've been working some really solid striking too. For I mean, it's been really the last like two years, but like this last six months, I've really you know really ramped it up since my last fight because I was just so frustrated that you know like I don't know if you saw heard me or whatever like. After the fight, my I, like something happened with my legs. Like they felt like they weighed like two hundred pounds. Like that I was moving so different than what I was the whole camp. And it was like as soon as my weight cut was over and I started rehydrating, um, I just felt like my legs get super heavy and they stay like that for like three or four days. Like when I was in Mexico, they were still like that. And uh, so I have no clue what happened, but I've I've kind of tweaked some stuff on um, you know like with a. Uh, with you know i use these sleeves now these compression sleeves yeah, yeah. to where whenever after i cut weight i think that having that will be huge and just really honestly going through that experience one time i don't think it will happen again i think I, maybe i can tweak my my rehydration a little bit and that'll be huge but like um i'm prepared for that and if it does happen again like i, I knew that going out there pressing forward for the takedown was the way to go and so um this fight you know like i'm i'm no secret everybody knows me like i'm gonna i'm gonna take you down for sure and i'm definitely gonna you know get the fight there eventually 
Is that something like you've you've tried to maybe talk to the people at the PI to maybe see like is there some scientific formula that you need to tweak? Yeah, no, definitely. Like, uh, yeah, like it doesn't matter how good you think you're doing everything on your own. If you, you know, you go, you go talk to any of those guys, at the PI and, and you, they'll tweak your nutrition or they'll te- tweak whatever your rehydration is. And, um, you know, like you can get it cleaned up pretty fast and, um, it's usually something super simple. Um, you know, like I'm not taking any extra supplements. I'm not doing anything anything crazy different um i started my weight cut a little bit earlier so i'm down um i'm down two pounds from where i was my last fight Mm -hmm. when i was three weeks out so um you know that's kind of you know i think in that maybe um i cut a little bit less weight and then when i go into the rehydration i stick with my um because last time i kind of got tired of drinking the um the saline or the the salty uh like gatorade mix whatever they have it was just like too much. So I like kind of mixed water into it. And then I, um, I didn't finish one of the shakes. So I'm thinking that, you know, maybe I stick with, um, the stuff they have and, um, you know, I'll be good to go. Awesome. Awesome. We look forward to seeing the fight here. March 12th, UFC Vegas, number 50. Of course, watch it on ESPN plus Damon. As always, man, I appreciate time. Of course, I let me know anything fight on social media and anything else you want to mention, man. Yeah, no, I actually did. I did get it, uh, social media stuff, but I haven't, I haven't really done a whole lot just on Instagram a little bit, but it's a uh, Damon B Jackson. Yeah. So that's it. That's all I have. I don't, <laughs> I don't do any sponsor stuff. I don't do any of that stuff. So, and I might post like once a week or every two weeks or something. So don't get, don't get your hopes up. Oh, look, when, when I see you post something, it sticks out to me. Cause I'm like, Damon, don't post much. So you gotta, there you gotta go. pay, you gotta pay attention <laughs> when you put something out there, man. So but, yeah. man, I appreciate time. Good luck in the fight, man. All right, man. Thank all you. Right. And that was my conversation with Damon Jackson. I appreciate him coming on the podcast, talk about his fight come up here next week. Uh, really great stuff there, kind of talking about uh, his day-to-day life and uh, you know where his uh, contract situation sits at now, looking to get that new UFC contract. With Daniel, UFC 272 is on Saturday night. We've got the the rivalry between uh, Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington. A, a great piece on MMA Junkie this uh, on Monday by Danny Segura, kind of outlining really the... Uh, kind of how this beef really started about uh, a longtime coach of Jorge Macedal. He gives he, he has him start working on Colby Covington. Ultimately, uh, the RDA fight is where he doesn't pay the coach, and that's kind of the, the root of everything with this one. But you know, I was thinking about this fight, and you know, I think I mean, look, I think we would all agree that Colby Covington is a second best second best 170 pound fighter in the world. But I feel like because of how Colby Covington presents himself in the public and in interviews, whatnot. I think people kind of tend to forget how great of a fighter this guy is. Yeah. I mean, look, Covington nearly beat Kamara Usman when they fought in that rematch. That was a, a close fight. And Kamara Usman is, he's, he's number one, right? He's a piece of top pound for pound fighter in the UFC rankings. And I believe so. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would think so. Uh, it's either it's got to be either him or uh, Izzy. And Usman has doesn't have the blemish that Izzy has with the loss to Jan. So, like, Usman's probably the best fighter on the planet. And Kobe Covington nearly beat him. It was a really close decision. I had it scored for Usman. But if Kobe Covington had his hand raised at the end of the night, it would have been the most surprising thing in the world. And what was super impressive about that fight from Colby's standpoint was like his standup was, was much better. His standup was pretty good. And when you look at this matchup with Jorge Masvidal, 
I mean, Masvidal's a big dog here. I mean, I, I look at the betting odds, and, and Colby's anywhere from minus 300 and, and whatnot. So even if the casual fans have forgotten, Las Vegas has not. No, you're spot on. I mean, like, to me, if you tell me Jorge Masvidal is going to pull this off on Saturday night, to me that says he knocks Colby Covington out in, in the first 10 minutes of this fight. If you tell me this fight makes it to the third round, I think it's Colby Covington's fight to lose. I mean... You know, the question you, you ultimately have with Jorge Masvidal is we all remember that run back in 2019 with ultimately ended with, uh, you know, really, really got booming with that. The knockout of Ben Askren, and of course, then the win against Nate Diaz also, uh, you know, the, the win against Aaron Till it is will that guy come back? You know, is this a situation where he's going to land that home run that he's going to knock out Colby Covington? But like, if you tell me Colby Covington uses his striking and his volume to go out there and beat Jorge Masvidal, and it's because more about that than about his wrestling, that wouldn't surprise me. I could very well see Colby Covington saying, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to show that I'm better than Jorge Masvidal on the feet. But, of course, look, the, the easiest path to victory to me, if you are Colby Covington, try to take this one to the ground. And, and to me, I think if you're Colby Covington, it's about trying to get Jorge Masol's back up against the fence, kind of make this a grinding type fight. But, you know, and look, I'm a guy, I love when two guys trash talk. Like, I love it. Like, who doesn't love it? But, like, I do fear that this matchup is not going to live up to the hype. I don't think it can. I really don't think it can because the hype is next level. I mean, this hype is a throwback to the UFC I grew up on. I mean, it reminds me of a real feud, like a Ken Shamrock versus Tito Ortiz type of feud where it's just it, it's these guys hate each other but it's so convoluted there's one part of you that wonders if it's fake like like I could totally see these two guys raising each other's hands at the end of it or, or whatever showing some respect I think that's a possibility I don't think it's likely I mean game bread is kind of game bread's for real like game bread's like he don't he doesn't play games literally but yeah, I don't I don't know if that'll happen. But this is definitely a throwback. This is pro wrestling one hundred and one. This is just two guys who don't like each other, and it, it, it's getting me to buy this pay per view. the The main card itself isn't the most stacked, but uh, Masvidal versus Covington. The hype is getting me to buy this pay per view. But yes, when I think this fight takes place, even though I, I could absolutely see Colby winning on the feet, like you said, I, I do think he's going to try and outpoint him with his wrestling. Now, this was uh, a headline or a quote, I should say, from Jorge Masvidal's interview with Mark Ramondi of ESPN.com. He was asked on what would the post UFC 272 headlines be? Quote, Colby in critical condition might not fully make it. Yeah, maybe they're not raising each other's hands after this. I, I don't look. I, I think that this this beef is completely real. But I mean, look, it's to me like. I've heard other people present this question and I really don't, I think I know the answer and and it's who has more to lose with this fight. I think it's Jorge Masvidal because I feel like if Masvidal doesn't get done, it just really, uh, it, it lessens his value. Um, also, uh, apparently I, I was listening, to, I was watching um, Morning Combat's uh, video previewing this fight and Luke Thomas had mentioned the fact of apparently Danny Segura had heard that the reason this one's not Miami is that Jorge Masvidal wanted, basically wanted a piece of the ticket sales, and the UFC's like, no, we're not giving you to that. That makes sense. That makes sense because, 
you know, when I'm watching the UFC countdown, one of the early shots is of the Miami uh, location, and it's just like, why is this not in Miami? This makes no sense. The second this fight was announced, both of both me and you were on this one. This needs to be Miami. Well, the reason why things are the way they are is usually because of one word, and that's cash. And so that kind of explains it. But that's crazy that that singular thing may, in fact, be why this fight isn't happening in Florida. Uh, yeah, man, I uh, I, I think Masvidal definitely has more to lose because this definitely does feel like for him, he's had a very long career. Maybe this is the end of his run, whereas if Colby loses, it's embarrassing. But he's done a great job of just like Colby Covington has at least three more losses in him where people will still pay money to watch him lose. You know, he's he's a textbook bad guy. Uh, people either love him or love to hate him. They love to watch him lose. He doesn't lose very often. So I, I do think he will still have plenty of value with the loss here to Masvidal. Um, you know, he might even find himself in a ring with the Paul brother, uh, you know, if he loses to Masvidal. I mean, look, Colby's in a really weird position because the fact of he has two losses against a champion, obviously both super close fights, you know, like you just said a little while ago, you could make the case of, of him potentially, you know, you know, getting the nod there uh, in the rematch. But I mean, look, it's I'm interested to see as this week goes on of how how the MMA community reacts to this fight, how much interest there are. Um, I, I will not be watching live on, on Saturday night. I'm taking my nieces over to Orlando for the evening. And so uh, I won't be able to watch this one live. I'll, I'll watch it after the fact. But I, if you tell me that it's a Colby Covington 50 to 45 decision, win, would not surprise me one bit. Um, you know, I, I just, I feel like if, if Maslow King, if he is able to get this job done, it's done early. So, as we record this show here on Monday night, we do not know who Rafael Dos Anjos is fighting officially. He's He has tweeted that he is on board to fight Islam Mahachev at 170 pounds. We'll see if that matchup does happen. Um, you know, for, for Dos Anjos, he made it clear today that he, he just wants to fight. Doesn't matter who it is. And the reason Rafael Fiziev is off this card, he flew to the United States, ended up testing positive for COVID, feeling bad. So send the healing vibes out to Rafael Fiziev. But for RDA, I mean, you get if it, if whether it's Islam Machev or it's somebody else, um, it, it, it'll be interesting, is it if Machev? But man, if it is, I mean, I, I totally favor Machev. Yeah, I would totally favor Mahachip. I think if it's anyone else, I would probably favor RDA. I, I just don't know if there's any other available names where they would step in there and be a favorite. So if it's Mahachev, picking Mahachev, just no question about it. I don't know if there's a single person on the UFC roster I would pick to beat Mahachev. Realistically, you put him against any lightweight. Yeah, you put him against Kamara Usman. Okay, I'll probably pick Kamara Usman in that fight. But yeah, I, I think Mahachev RDA at 170. If we're previewing this hypothetical fight, I think Mahachev wins via unanimous decision. Yeah, I mean, you look at Mahachev, and you know, I mean, look, the the reason for me not to take the fight is you really. In terms of where you stand in a lightweight division, there's nothing to gain. Of course, I mean, look, there was nothing to gain going against, against Bobby Green. But I think what we have seen with Islam Mahachev is you see, you know, being a protege of Habib Nurmagomedov. But the one thing that you notice, this guy's, a, you know, to me is a better striker than Habib. Uh, you know, as I look at the rest of this card, you, you've got Edson Barboza versus Bryce Mitchell. Kind of a, a clash of styles here, Daniel, where if you're Edson Barboza, it's about keeping the fight on the feet. You're Bryce Mitchell, it's about getting the fight to the ground. 
background. Um, it'll be interesting to see what is the narrative around Bryce Mitchell this week after his interview with Eric Hawani. You know, how much of that continues to be a storyline with it. But if you're Bryce Mitchell, to me, it's about getting to the ground. And I mean, look, Kevin Holland, Alex Alvaro, I mean, that that that's a fight on the pay-per-view. I look at it and just say that fight can't suck, right? Yeah, both those guys are super exciting. They're going to get the best out of each other. But like Holland, Oliveira, Hardy, Spivak, those aren't necessarily main card quality fights for me. But if you're with your with your buddies watching the pay per view, that Oliveira Holland fight is more than likely going to be a, a just an absolute ball to watch with your buddies. That Barboza Mitchell fight, that's a damn good fight, and I'm excited for it. You know, Bryce Mitchell, very polarizing with that interview, but very talented featherweight, and this is just identical to how you would predict his fight going up against Andre Feely, where it's like he don't want to stand with Barboza. I mean, we all know that. I'm pretty sure Mitchell's the favorite here. Um, is he? Is he the favorite? I, I, mean, I would imagine, I'm just pulling the odds up right now, that he is the favorite. Uh, Bryce Mitchell, a minus 155 betting favorite over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Yeah, I would pick Barboza in this fight because I think the stand-up's going to be a bit too much. I mean, Barboza's this has been his entire career, going up against takedown guys, top positional dominant grapplers. He spent his whole career defending these guys, and I think there's a massive gap on the feet, and I think all it's going to take is just a few leg kicks to really change the the, uh, the game with this fight. So I'm picking Barboza to pick up the upset. What I'll say is this. I strongly believe Marina Rodriguez and Jan Zidane should be on the main card because they should put some investment in that fight because Marina Rodriguez, with a win here, should fight for the Women's Strawweight Championship. So if you're theoretically down the line going to put Marina Rodriguez in a championship fight, that'll probably be your number two fight or number three fight on a pay-per-view, it's important to put her on this main card, make her seem like a big deal, so all the people tuning in and watching Covington Mazidal remember the name Marina Rodriguez. So it, it just makes no sense to me that this fight isn't being promoted better, isn't being promoted on the pay-per-view. Yeah, the, the heavyweight match between Sergey Spivak and Greg Hardy right now is, is slated to be the pay-per-view opener, which, uh, you know, obviously the storyline's got to be in that. The fact that it's Greg Hardy's final fight on his UFC contract, what kind of happens with Greg Hardy. Um, you know, typically when the UFC lets you get to that final fight on your deal and, they're not, and you haven't signed an extension, that's usually pretty telling uh, of the UFC's thought process and what they want to do with you. But, uh, and I love what you said there about Rodriguez and Jan Zian. Yeah, that, that should be a main card fight. Uh, there is another fight that's got a lot of heat on it. Marina Moros and uh, Mariah Agapova. Um, <laughs> yeah, people may not remember. Uh, Moros had uh, made some allegations and uh, Agapova. Uh, yeah, so uh, these two, I would imagine there's going to be some headlines uh, kind of coming out of that one as well. Um, that's, you know. great. that's a crazy fight. I totally forgot about that story. And I honestly don't remember all the details, but I remember it got really ugly. And it got so ugly that I don't even know if these two should be fighting each other. Like that, like, 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 dude, like, can you imagine the pre-fight deal or the post-fight deal? Like when you read up on what happened between Moroz and, and Agapova, that's crazy stuff. No, right. that, that should have been a part of the countdown special. So this is from July of last year where Marina Moroz did an interview with the MMA Herald, which is a Russian media outlet. She, and this way it says, Quote, she says, I don't have money for food. I don't have this or help me out, Maria said via translation. She wrecked her car to drug state. All in all, a very interesting person. She got kicked out of two gyms and an American top team. She threatened the guys 
and it was caught on camera. She was under the influence of drugs. She threatened the guys, and she was kicked out of the gym because she was threatening to stab and so forth. Also, stalked the wife of a fighter who is pregnant. She also threatened to stab. In general, the police called were called four times already here. She broke the doors, and that's it. Maria Agapova, the UFC junkie. That uh, that is that is insane. I mean, I don't. That is that is like. I've never heard stuff like that before. I mean, th- this dynamic inside the cage is going to be a sight to behold. The weigh-ins, the official ceremonial weigh-ins, I mean, I feel like this is a, a bad, bad thing waiting to happen. Oh, no, yeah, man. it, it That has got a ton of heat on it. Um, you know, other uh, – we had Dust Jacoby on the show last week. He, he's taking on Mihail Olszewczyk. You know, he talked about he's got to look out for the power there. Uh, you know, uh, other ones – you know, Brian Keller is, is always a guy I just love to watch fight. Um, and he's – but he's taking on Namar Madoff, right? Yeah, Omar Namar um, Madoff. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that, that's a tough fight for him. But, I mean, look, the, the whole reason you're tuning in on Saturday night is – is to watch the main event. I mean, you know, and and I, I feel like it's gonna. Uh, there's gonna be kind of like a lot last week where everyone was rooting for Bobby Green, but we kind of all understood what the reality was in that situation. And I think we, you know, a lot of people are tuning in, hoping for Jorge Masvidal knockout win. But the reality is, uh, I, I think Colby gets it done. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Colby gets gets a stoppage at some point. Yeah, look, if Masvidal beats Colby Covington it immediately becomes one of the moments of the year. It'll become one of the defining moments of 2022 and makes more shorts. But like you, I'm thinking in my head here and Colby's my pick. A finish would be, it would be embarrassing for Masvidal, but it, the thing is Colby is, um, is just relentless with his pressure, with his offense for 25 straight minutes. So I could definitely see him wearing him down to, to getting that referee stoppage, but I'm picking Covington to win via unanimous decision. Yeah, I'm with you in terms of that. Uh, one more interview for you here on the show. You're going to hear from Kyle Prepolek, of course, a former UFC fighter. He's going to be the main event of Friday's Unified Card, fighting for the 165-pound title against Shane Campbell. So here's my interview with Kyle. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is one of the men that's going to be in the main event of the Unified MMA show coming up here on March the 4th. Unified MMA 43 fighting for the super lightweight title, which is 165 pounds. Kyle, appreciate the time. Uh, obviously, uh, people have seen you fight before many times before, but uh, you know, obviously the last two years have not been the, the active years that you would hope for. So like, how, how do you describe these last two years? Uh... I described the last two years as like uh, a lot of pros and cons, more pros just because, you know, the time to not only learn about myself, but to also, you know, develop my game, become more complete as a mixed martial artist instead of just being the old me now just to bring on the new reamped me, you know? So I, I take it like, I wish there was more things going on aside from like the pandemic and, you know, everything affecting the world. And, uh, but you know what, it was a time to grow. So uh, I like, I want to keep it as positive as possible. Right. So just keep moving forward and, uh, be the best that I can be until my time's done, you know? Yeah. I, I remember kind of when we, this all became our world back at the start of pandemic and James Krause, he, he had said a line to me that really just stuck with me. He's like, you know, Hey man, it's, it's easy to look at the negative side of things. He goes, but Hey, you know, use this time to, to how can you level up? Um, and, and you talk about, you know, kind of how you've, you've done your things for you. Is that as much mental as it is physical? 
Uh, yeah, I would say it would go hand in hand. Like it, everything is mental, but it also, you need that physical part. So for me, I, I would consider it both, you know, without, without the mental game, you can't use that physical gain. So in your physical, you can only do so much with, without the mental, right? So with both, you can be that complete, uh, unit, right? And, and you got back in there back in, in October at the end of last year. I mean, did you, did you feel any rust at all? Um, I felt like the anxiety and the jitters for sure. And I was just like, Oh man, I haven't felt like this nervous in a long time, like in a long, long time. And I'm like, man, this is weird. But then after, you know, as soon as like the gate closes and you're already in there, it's like, Oh, okay. We've been here before. Let's, let's go have some fun, you know, like let's do our thing. But, uh, I, I do believe it's a, like ring rust is a thing, but at the same time, I also believe it isn't a thing. As long as you're training the way you're going to fight, whether it's in like situational training or whether it's pad work, bag work, um, you know, flow sparring, hard sparring, doing whatever, or going to other gyms and just, you know, seeing other things just to get that anxiety out or like, it, even though I did travel and all that stuff and went to other gyms across Ontario and whatnot, I still got the jitters. It's this is normal. It's the fight game. But uh, I believe there was a little rust there, but uh, as for like some other fighters where you're like, man, this guy had a long layoff and you can tell, I don't know if that was how it was with me. I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to go out, do my best and bring on a show, bring out a war. And, you know, and uh, that's exactly what I did. I tried finishing him, but he's a tough, tough dude, you know? <laughs> you mentioned about those nerves. Just as you were talking about that, kind of made me think about were those nerves greater or less than the nerves you had when you made your UFC debut? Oh, the UFC debut? Uh I was more excited. So it was like nervousness and excitement where this one was like, Oh shit, it's about to go down. <laughs> like <laughs> it was, uh, I would say my nerves for the most recent fight was just like how I had like my first couple fights back when I was an amateur and going pro, mm -hmm. uh, the UFC one, it was just more like your hard work's paid off. Let's try, let's go do a show. Like it's time to go to work and prove why we're here. So, uh, Tapology doesn't have any of your amateur uh, fights. So, maybe things about that first. Do you remember anything about your first amateur fight? Uh, yeah, it was more like uh, back in, I'd say like 2008 or nine or something like that. It'd be like, you know, you go to the States, go to uh, one of the local gyms. I would have like a, like a little show going on. And it's like, okay, you guys are close to it. You guys go and fight. All right, you guys. <laughs> close to it you guys fight it's like oh okay so we don't have to cut weight we just show up we look the same and all right let's go so now it's like okay now you have to show up on weight now okay yeah you guys now you guys are scheduled to fight okay oh your guy pulled out all right let's see if anyone's in the crowd who wants to come fight you like it, it was crazy it was like wild west stuff but it hey that's it, uh i enjoyed it i thought it was fun like it was a it was a great cool experience and it, it still is to this day like I, I, I still wouldn't say no. It was just that experience itself is just uh, to me something wonderful. So, yeah. Yeah. The sport has, has definitely evolved from where we were at that stage um, with this being at 165. How does that, does it change anything at all for you? Uh, not, not really. It's the same, like the same, I'm doing the same stuff that I would do to like get to 55. Um, I know it says uh, it's, 165 but i think we're meeting at 160 but even then we're still it's still like nothing that actually five pounds is where it's like actually really hard so it, i think it's good for both of us you know like i know change is fought i think december 
a few months ago and it's like, you know what? He, he's just getting back to it. Just like I am. Uh, cause mine was like mid November or like something like that. But, uh, you know, it's good for both of us. We can, we can stay healthy, stay hydrated and fight at our hundred percent. You know, they're not having, Oh, you know, all bad weight cut. Uh, yeah. and if you have a bad weight cut at a catch weight, it's like, you should have been a little more professional and done better on your part. I know sometimes it sucks and there's like some errors that can go on. Like your body could be like, Oh, we're not doing this again so soon. You know, like you gotta chill out and you know, maybe 55 would have been super hard for both of us. But right now I know I'm doing well and I'm on track and I'm sure he is too. So, yeah, I know I've kind of talked, I've talked to Shane in the past and especially about these, you know, 160, 165 pound fights. And it seems like he's kind of like, man, I'm just, I'm just looking for opportunities. Uh, is that kind of the same situation for you of where you're at right now? It's like, look, I just, I just got to take advantage of the opportunities that present myself and just take it one day at a time. Uh, especially during these times. Yeah. I would say, you know, with, with how the world's going, take everything you can while you can just in case, cause you never know what could happen. Like, yeah, everything's going great right now. And like, you know, the, obviously the news is like mandates are lifting, but what if something else comes out and it's like, Oh, we got to shut down again. And it's yeah. like, we're all getting ready for something. And then all of a sudden, Oh, it's shut down. Now it's like, no, no, no any chance I get from now on it's a it's a yes 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 and we'll figure it out later type of thing like take everything on and then uh adjust and adapt as the time goes and, and obviously with the matchup here against shane he has been on, on a roll here um and you know i know with him it, the goal is just like everyone's goal trying to get back to the ufc um it, it is part was your mindset when this fight was off for you of like man this is the perfect fight for me to to make that statement to show the ufc matchmakers that you know bring me back Oh, 100%. You know, like it, me and him are the top two Canadians that aren't in like UFC or Bellator or any of that stuff. So it's like, Hey, why not? Let's, let's see who deserves to be in this spot. You know, let's, uh, let's both fight our hearts out and, you know, let's see who's going to be number one in Canada and be back in the UFC or Bellator, you know, like that, that's just how it goes. Like he's me and him are basically fighting for the top. We are the elites of the elites of uh, Canadian fighters that aren't signed to the big leagues. So this is, I think it's a perfect opportunity, not only for myself, but him for uh, him as well. As you think about your key to victory, is there something that, that sticks out above all else? Uh, I'm an athlete and a fighter. I, I can put both uh, together and, uh, you know, I don't even know what else to say. Like that's, that's all I got. I'm a fighter and an athlete. So it's like, I have both of those to my advantage that what? I feel anyway. All right. What came first athlete or fighter? Um, I think we're all fighters from the start and then we grow and develop as athletes and fighters. But if you can keep both and have that switch, um, I feel like, you know, guys like, uh, George St. Pierre, he was a fighter, but he also became that pure martial artist and athlete. And then, you know, guys like Michael Chandler, like, I feel like I'm like those guys, obviously not like GSP because he's the goat, but that's, that's what we strive for to be the greatest of all time, the best ever like him. So I feel like, uh, you know, being that athlete, being that fighter, having the heart and the mind, that is, uh, the base advantage anybody can have. Obviously, all Canadian fighters are going to look up to George St. Pierre. I mean, it doesn't probably matter where you live. You, you look up to what he's accomplished. Was there somebody else for you as you were developing the sport that you looked up to as a Canadian fighter? Um, as other Canadian fighters, there's always, like, obviously the 
home homegrown the London boys like Mark Hominick and Sam Stowe. Like the guys would always get you know KO of the nights or fight of the nights. And it's like man, I want to be exciting. I want to be I want to be awesome like these guys too. You know, and there's even Chris Horodesky and you know even another London guy, uh, Chris Clements. Like he was like the way he wonderboyed Wonderboy with that like spin Mortal Kombat kick and doing all that. I'm like man, this guy's a beast. You know, but. Uh, as growing up, it was, you know, like I, I always uh, enjoyed watching like Matt Hughes, George St. Pierre, uh, you know, David Loazzo, uh, Rich Franklin, the, the whole Pat Militech camp, the Militech fighting systems, like all those guys, even Fedor like, and Krokop and Pride Days, Wanderlei, like all those guys I want to take pieces mm-hmm. from and try to complete mixed martial artists, right? So that's, that's just me though. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Of course, everyone's going to see your fight here. Unified MMA 43, March the 4th, live on UFC Fight Pass, main event of the fight card, super lightweight title. Kyle, appreciate the time. Of course, I'd love to know anything fight on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Uh, just the shout out and thank you to like, uh, on the adrenaline training center for, you know, uh, the great hospitality, uh, all the teammates, all my sponsors, um, I'll be posting all that on Facebook, Instagram and all that stuff. And obviously sharing our stuff as well. And, uh, just a big shout out to everybody who's always been on this journey, whether I'm winning or losing and, and uh, just that they're all greatly appreciated. And there you have my conversation with Kyle. Appreciate him coming on the podcast. Talk about his fight coming up here on Friday, Unified MMA 43. That fight car also will feature UFC veteran KB Bilar also will feature the return to mixed martial arts for Ryan Ford via his first MMA matchup since 2014. He's been taking on a bunch of boxing fights there, so a ton of action you can take in uh, over at UFC Fight Pass coming up uh, on Friday. Also, the CES card is on there. I've got some CES interviews coming up this week, so uh, you can check that out all over at the MMAreport.com. But, uh, Daniel, anything else you want to mention before we get out of here, man? Just, um, I can't believe that last week you saw two um, professional wrestling shows performed by smaller men. You saw two, not one, but two uh, micro wrestling. You saw two micro wrestling shows in one week to celebrate your friend's birthday. I, I, don't, I think you're the only person who have ever seen two live micro wrestling shows before. It was it was entertaining, man. It was entertaining. You know, it's some of the some of the moves they perform, man. It's 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 an entertaining show and uh, some good one liners on the mic. They they were very good with with their promo skills. Uh, something also notice uh, to mention: UFC two seventy five is going to now feature Glover Share against Yuri Prochacek. Yuri, that matchup was supposed to take place at UFC two seventy four. Something to note there about Yuri: he's been training at Fight Ready over there uh, in in Arizona. I was for some reason I always want to say New Mexico. It's Arizona. Uh, of course, John Jones has been training there recently. Uh, John Jones uh, came out publicly and talked about the fact that uh, his fiance has left him. And uh, I know he was uh, up in the New England area recently doing doing a training there. So, uh, but you know, I, I do. I do wonder with John Jones if we do see him in the cage in 2022. I think we will. I really do. I mean, at this point, I don't know what else there is for him to focus on. Like, this kind of feels like a redemption tour if there is one to have. And I feel like for him at this point in his life, that's got to be the one thing to focus on. 
to get himself back straight. I don't know. I could see it happening. Yeah, it's just one of those things that you just hope that he's got a good core around him because you you know, based on his tweet, I think he ultimately deleted, which is typical John Jones. Um, you know, obviously he's he's going through a rough time right now. Um also uh speaking of some other things I want to mention, uh MMA Junkie's got a great piece on Bryn Ward. If, if people did not see that last week, it's the entire behind the scenes with Bryn Ward and his team uh before his fight uh at the Bellator show there at Mohegan in a, a couple of weeks ago. Really great piece. It's about a 24-minute video. Um, just a really interesting, fascinating piece. And it's going to be interesting to kind of see what happens with Brennan Ward over the next, you know, six, eight months of kind of, uh, you know, he was only on a one-fight deal with Bellator. So uh, you, you got to, I got to imagine that there will be other promotions that will look at that and say, man, maybe this is a guy we want in our organization. I don't, I don't know if the UFC would quite go there yet, uh, but maybe they would. Yeah, I think he would definitely be a great addition to a PFL tournament. I think he would really make it an, uh, an interesting entry into that field and a, and a great story for them to profile. I think his story fits really well with the type of broadcast they do. Look, I just think if, yeah, I think any fighter PFL comes calling and you got a chance to make that million dollar payday, I think you got, you got to take that call. Yeah, and he's got the talent level to do it. He really does. He looks really good. Obviously, as a fight set, I've heard to perform well, but he, he was dominant. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, I mean, look, it's, and he's got, he's got a personality on him, um, and everyone you've talked to, uh, you know, the one thing they say is that he is a completely different person, and and even when you heard Scott Coker kind of talking about it uh, after a fact of, you know, that, hey, you know, this is a different guy than the guy we dealt with a couple years ago. Scott Coker did make some news on Monday uh, talking about that, that there's interest in Jake Paul. Of course, there'd be interest in bringing Jake Paul to Bellator. Why wouldn't there be? Yeah, it's a license to print money. Uh, of course, there's an interest in it, but it's going to cost way too much money for it to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, I, and, I mean, look, that becomes a, it's it's a Kayla Harrison question. You know, what, how much money are you willing to give Kayla Harrison? Yeah, but the thing with Jake Paul, it's like, it's just why would you cut anyone else in on your deal when you have already shown? I mean, I, I guess you were Showtime, but like, it's like, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what Bellator brings to the equation other than, you know, brings truck full of cash. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I mean, like, you know, and, and ultimately if Jake Paul did come to MMA, you know, to me, obviously going to Bellator would be the, the smartest play because I think Bellator would give him the appropriate fights as opposed to you go to UFC. I think UFC would just give him the hardest possible fight. Like I feel like they would give him Hamza Chimaev because they just feel Chimaev would just take him down and beat him on the ground. But like if you said that all of a sudden, Hey, he's willing to come to Bellator and fight at 170, 185, you know, the guy that sticks out to me that I would book him against. And I, I don't know if he would take it. Sabah Hamasi. Damn. Yeah, I mean, because I, I feel like Sabah would stand and bang with him. Yeah, I mean, I think Sabah would take that fight. Yeah, and obviously. Sabah has mentioned about um, going up to one eighty five. Um, you know, because he is, he's just mentioned. He's like, as I get older, you know, cutting down to one seventy is tougher and tougher. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you just put a lot of money in Sabah Hamasi's bank account. I just feel like if he makes that transition to MMA, it's going to be against guys that are name value guys. I, but I just, you know. I think it's it's unlikely unlikely he does that. Yeah, maybe he fights Diego Sanchez in that may fight. That's next week, bro. Diego Sanchez, Kevin Lee. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I wonder how much media coverage it's gonna get. Oh, I think it'll get a ton. It'll get a ton of media coverage. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. We'll talk about it. We'll watch I, I it. just God, I just feel like it's just gonna look sad. I just Totally, a hundred percent. 
it's a fight that shouldn't be happening. But it's just one of those things with Diego. Like it's the it's the unfortunate side of combat sports where we see this happen. You know, so often where um, a guy is going to go out way later than he should have. Yeah, and, and it's just kind of that concern of the the amount of wars that Diego has been through. Um, I, I, you know, I, I just you know I, I'm not excited to watch the Diego fight, but the the reality of combat sports is there's always going to be a promoter out there that wants to make money off someone who's got some type of name value. Yeah, and it's it's it goes back before MMA. I mean, into boxing. You look at the end of Muhammad Ali's career; just an incredibly sad thing to witness. You know, you watch that fight with Larry Holmes, and it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. And, and yeah, Diego shouldn't be in there. And Kevin Lee, man, he has great power. You know, he can do a lot of damage in there. Yeah, I know. I mean, but I mean, look, people are going to be watching. People are going to be uh, intrigued about what that may look like. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, I mean, look, I think, you know, Eagle FC is making some news. I mean, they're bringing in, I mean, a ton of known fighters for, for these United States events. So it's going to be interesting to see how that does play out. Of course, that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Report podcast. Do want to thank my guests, Damon Jackson and Kyle Prepola coming on this episode of the podcast. Of course, uh, be sure to uh, tune in to the MMA Report.com. Got some interviews coming up there as well. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report podcast, which comes out on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. 